0: Shot. It's the Great Shot Podcast, a cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Goreskin. On tonight's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division One college tennis world. Of course, here on Wednesday nights on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, we break down all of the latest Division I men's college tennis action, and of course, we have reached the home stretch of the 2023 season. This past weekend saw our final season of regular season play, as well as countless conference tournaments across the college tennis landscape. And of course, on tonight's show, our plan for all of you college tennis fans is to break down all of the action we saw unfold. Yes, of course, we're going to talk. About the conference championship matches. There was plenty of drama. TCU Texas, part four, Kentucky working the 4 3 marathon route on their way to their first SEC title in over 20 years. You had Plenty of ACC drama, of course, not just in the championship match, but on the way to that championship as well. Countless non-Power 5 conference results for us to talk about. Countless NCAA tournament field implications. We're going to get into all of that. On tonight's show. It's a jam packed episode for all of you college tennis fans to enjoy. And of course, if we're going to try and break all of that down, you know who's going to be joining me to steer the ship to do just that. It's the man who joins us each and every week here on this show, a man you all know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, the professor, the lean, mean, vegan machine. His website is the true MVP in the month of May and, of course, a man who somehow continues to smile through my Great Shot podcast introductions despite having had to hear them now for five consecutive years. It is my dearest friend, Chris Hallioris. Chris, hey, Great Shot. Welcome back. You feeling that postseason juju, my friend?
1: I am I will have to say the, the the most painful part of that introduction was the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames that didn't feel so good this past week but beyond that ah oh, come on what a time college college tennis getting into conference tournament season down to the last 2 weeks and yeah, it's just a frenzy now. This is the best time of the year.
0: Yeah, it's hardware season. This is where you hand out trophies. And again, on tonight's show, we're going to recap who won those trophies. We're going to talk about who have played themselves in or out of NCAA tournament contention. We'll offer our top 16 rankings. We'll take a look at the week ahead. And of course, because we had, I will say critics are, have, Give it in the reviews from last week and the critics are saying our bubble segment with Tanner stump was so delightful that we should do it again this week. Of course, when I say critics are saying, I mean, the only critic that matters of any of our Crack Rackets content, my beloved, lovely mother. And she approves of Tanner Stump, so we'll have him here again tonight to start with Bubble Watch in a moment. But of course, before we get to that, gotta give a massive shout-out to all of you college tennis fans, players, coaches out there who make doing this show week in, week out such a joy for us here at Crack Rackets. It's the season's home stretch. We promise we'll have plenty of content for all of you fans down that home stretch, whether it be election shows recap of all of the exciting action that happens throughout the NCAA tournament. We may even have some broadcasting news for all of you in the near future as well. So be on the lookout for all of that over the course of the next few days and weeks as we wrap up this 2023 college tennis season. Of course, a massive shout out as well to our dear friends and sponsors at LS and Turner. And I'm not going to lie. I like this turn of blue shirt. I don't think you see this very often. There's a reason for that. It's iconic. It's trademarked. It's one of a kind. And you don't just get to rep it as a shirt. Of course, you get to rep it as the best grip in the business. It's synonymous with grips everywhere. You see that iconic blue color on the butt of someone's racket. You can immediately identify it as a turn of grip, there's a reason you see it everywhere. It's the best in the business. It gets stickier and tackier as you continue to play and sweat. It's got that trademark blue color as well, durable as any Grip out there on the market. Of course, they've unveiled their latest iteration of their Turner Grip. It's called Turner Tough. You can find it wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. We are so grateful for the support we get from our friends at Turner. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Be sure to try the newest Turner Tough Grip today. Of course, a massive shout out to our dear friends at LS as well. We're so grateful for the continued support we get from them. Of course, they can outfit you in the most comfortable Most fashionable and most accessible gear in the business, whether it be their hoodies, their collared shirts, their dry fits, got a great catalog for you to explore. You can do so by clicking on the link in the description to this episode. A massive shout out to our dear friends at LS for their continued support of all things we do here at Crack Rackets and for their support of these episodes of The Deciding Point week in, week out here on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. With all of that said, Chris, again, so many different places we could start tonight's show. We have plenty of conference championships results for us to discuss, but I think the place we have to start is with the NCAA implications, excuse me, from all of the results we saw unfold over the course of the past week. And again, it's not just those championship matches that matter as we turn towards the postseason. first-round conference tournament matches, second-round conference tournament matches, that Nebraska-Wisconsin match we alluded to last week. We want to give you an update on what happened, where things stand. And if we're going to do that, it helps not just to have one X Expert, But again, two experts and an expert now who's critically acclaimed by the most important critic of our Crack Racket shows. He might have missed it as he was waiting in the Zoom room, but now he will forever be known as a man who is Dr. Laura Gruskin approved here on these podcasts. Of course, you also may remember him as the former associate head coach for the national championship winning Florida Gators. He now writes and offers advice on his website, collegetenniscrashcourse.com. Welcome back, our dear friend, Tanner Stump. Coach, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Uh, I did miss it. I'll have to go back and listen. But
2: uh, if I did receive the stamp of approval from your mom, I can't imagine a higher honor than that. So, Thank you very much, Ms. Gruskin.
0: Yeah, it's the first time I understand how the recruiting pitch works. I was like, yeah, that's that's how he does it. That's it's, It just makes sense. <laughs> and he, he understands how to play the game, Mom, and he's working his magic once again. But it's great to have you back, of course. And, you know, more broadly, I'm curious now, are you someone who still nerds out? Are you trying to watch all the college tennis action as it's unfolded over the course of this past weekend? What What, what did your menu of matches look like?
2: Yeah, no, I love it. This This is my favorite time of year, just watching conference tournaments, uh, seeing how the bubble shifts, seeing how teams deal with pressure, uh, seeing the teams that maybe they haven't had the seasons that they've wanted, but they figure it out right at the end, which we're getting a little bit of that with some teams. And so, um, you know, just I'm always watching. I'm always watching, just keeping an eye out and I think for me, obviously, last weekend watching the SEC tournament and, and keeping an eye on that, and I thought it was a great broadcast—the uh, SEC final between Kentucky and Georgia, which was just great television, in my opinion, you know, and and great drama as it usually is in the finals. So it was great to see that, and I thought both teams acquitted themselves really well and and uh, put a good product out there for college tennis. So that was one that I really made sure to keep an eye on, and then. Um, just even tonight, you know, with the Pac-12 and and obviously a big domino that already fell there. So um, definitely always interested, definitely following up on all the results and, and keeping track of what's going on.
0: I considered booking a flight from whatever the airport that people use to get in and out of Auburn to Atlanta, just on that flight after the sec tournament, just because I wanted to be there once for that trophy moment when both teams are on that connecting flight, trying to get back home because I've heard so many stories about that flight. Um, well, and I've sure. been on the rough end of that. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, with,
2: with Tennessee uh, a couple years ago and, uh, our boy Andy Andrade had to sit on the flight next to the trophy. Um, and I believe Adam Walton and that was, uh,
0: that was unpleasant to say the least. Um, but... which, which is why I think I should be there as a neutral arbiter to be like, you know what? I'll I'll hold this. Like I'll make sure there's <laughs> yeah. no fights emerge, and we can all have fun for the next hour and a half or whatever it may be. And then um, you'll take your selfie
2: and you'll tell yeah. everyone that <laughs> you won it. And exactly, that, that's and your I'll accomplishment. Say, yeah, coming that's, home I... with
0: more hardware. Like again, another title. <laughs> Just like year after year, here's the trophy. Um, exactly, and then it'll be on the holiday. Card.
1: neutral arbiter is not in druskin's vocabulary (laughs) so that that would never happen it it would be more like biased invocation you know
0: exactly no it's just an excuse to get more gear but again we wanted to have you on to discuss where things stand with the bubble and you know, again, we're just going to keep working here at Cracked Rackets to continue to improve our form towards the postseason. I have an organized list of questions. There are three I want to ask you specifically three categories here as we look at this NCAA bubble, as we look at the NCAA tournament, because of course, there are three categories of teams those competing for top eight seeds, those competing for top 16 seeds, and then, of course, those competing for NCAA tournament berths at large. Let's start with the juicy stuff, the top eight seeds. I made my list, and I've been playing with the what-if calculator and the projections, and right now I have five locks for top eight seeds. I think Texas is in for sure, TCU for sure, Ohio State, Kentucky, and UVA. I know for sure, regardless of what happens this weekend, those five teams are going to be top eight seeds at this NCAA tournament. Is am I light on my locks, Chris? I'll start with you because you're making a face.
1: Yeah, you're a hundred percent light. There are eight locks. <laughs> okay,
0: it, it's that simple.
1: Yeah, I there's no doubt who the eight top seeds are at this point. Okay. So who are they? I, I mean, you got Texas, TCU, Ohio State, Kentucky, Virginia, as you mentioned, Michigan, Georgia, and Tennessee will absolutely jump South Carolina because of the head-to-head advantage. And and the only reason I say that is. USC under no circumstance, there's nothing that we can do to get USC up from 10 to 9 to disrupt that possibility of Tennessee jumping South Carolina. And if USC can't get there, we're going to end up with South Carolina 8, Tennessee 9. Tennessee's going to jump them on the head-to-head and end up with the 8 spot, and South Carolina's going to Tennessee first round. And I don't see a way – we'll get Tanner's take here. I just don't see any way around that being the 8-9 match and it happening – In Knoxville, should both teams hold serve the first weekend?
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I, I I ask you, Tanner, agree or disagree? I agree. I'd say
2: 95% of that. I'd say that it is going to be in the committee's hands. And based off of what the committee has done in the past, they typically do flip that spot if there is a head-to-head. And I think more than just one category goes Tennessee's way in terms of the tiebreakers. But that's not to say that, they might not find a reason to keep the Gamecocks where they were, but if we look at the back half of the season of Tennessee and, and South Carolina, the team that's more in form, I think there's much more of an argument for the Volunteers to host than the Gamecocks at this point, even though you know both teams are very, very good and, and equally deserving of being a top-eight team, in my opinion. I think they have a better resume coming down the stretch. So if I'm in the committee and and I have that criterion in front of me, I think I am going to choose to flip those spots. Um, you know, even if Michigan were to lose early, they're not in any danger. Their point differential is is more than high enough. And so they'll be a a top eight. And then Georgia as well. I think the really interesting storyline is USC, you know, not so much that they can improve their stock, but that they're lurking, you know, and and they're a team that I'd want to try to avoid, you know, if I'm one of those top eight, eight seeds. And and so, you know, Georgia and Michigan are kind of vying for that seven spot that could put them against. Uh, USC in the Sweet 16 and so if Michigan does well and and I think they have to end up winning the conference tournament to jump uh, Georgia and if they do that then that would put Georgia
0: against USC in the Sweet 16 which would be a really spicy matchup in Athens so two things off of that a, you you mentioned this last week, just to reiterate for our listeners who may not remember, head-to-head, head, that's a criteria the committee considers. Top 50 wins, I believe, is another uh, committee criteria, just a, an easy data point for them to consider. Are there any other factors? Because as you're alluding to then, it sounds like the real race is an internal top eight race, and as you mentioned potentially Michigan has another Ohio state matchup on the board. If they were to win that, yes. Then they have a shot at the top four. Michigan did beat Virginia. You know, Michigan did beat Tennessee. Is there any world where those things matter Tanner, or is it just straight up, they beat Ohio state that, because I think I did the math that would get them up to four. If not, there's, stuck at seven is a tough thing to say but like with usc looking like a 10 they're stuck at seven
2: yeah i don't think their win against virginia comes into play unless they get up back to back with them which that only happens if they beat ohio state and that would put them in a better shape anyway so i don't think that that really comes into play the other factor that they consider in terms of criteria is common opponents and uh Tennessee has a better common opponent record than South Carolina so that's another kind of check in their favor in terms of flipping those spots.
0: Okay, that makes sense and then look part 2 is you know as, as you mentioned there yes you look at that that race for USC. I mean that's that's the question mark and that gets us to the top 16 portion and that's category number 2 and I'll start again with you Tanner. As you look they do have the Pac 12 tournament this week and you know again cal's been solid ucla's been solid utah obviously a massive pac 12 season arizona still lingering as a top 20 team we're going to talk about stanford later in the show so we can avoid that now is there enough left for usc to get to nine or are they stuck at 10 in your mind tanner as well
2: they're stuck at 10 uh That handy what-if calculator, you know, if that wasn't there, then (laughs) I don't know if I would know that. But I know that they would still be pretty woefully short in terms of points, and uh, they don't have any head-to-head record against the teams in front of them. So I don't see any reason the committee would switch that. But again, you know, in other sports, they really heavily weigh conference winners. and. I think USC is the conference winner. Uh, I saw like multiple teams putting out graphics that they yeah, all I think won the they pack tied. Well.
1: Yeah, they like tied that. Three-way,
2: three-way yeah. tie
1: claimed yeah. by it's, Arizona.
2: Yeah. It's like co-co-co-champions. Yeah. Um, and so they you know, they won the regular season or they're the one seed in the, in the tournament. And then if they win the conference tournament, I don't know if the selection committee weighs that at all. I don't think they do. But um, if they did, then that might give them something to consider in terms of moving them up another spot.
0: Mm-hmm. Chris, 14, 15, 16, what's that race looking like?
1: I mean, right now, the the sitting incumbent, if you will, is Mississippi State for the for the final spot. You've kind of got the real the real battle there. I don't I don't honestly see a way for North Carolina to probably fall out. I mean they're sitting at 15 right now with Mississippi State behind them at 16. It's possible that they could flip-flop, but I don't see a good way for North Carolina to fall out. And so then it really comes down to a matter of who who could get there besides Mississippi State and I think, you know, other than them in their you know, in their own destiny, Utah and Stanford control what they can do. Right. I mean, either one of them, obviously, if they went on a run, if they won the whole pack 12, they're going to get back up in there. Utah might not have to do all of that. They may just need a couple, two wins to get to the final from the best I can tell from, you know, and uh, you know, the what if calculator is great. I love that. I put it together. It also makes me waste like three straight days this time of year. So it's my worst enemy because I just play with scenarios all day. And I think you can come up with a scenario where even if Utah won two matches, and I think it comes down to like Pepperdine winning the WCC over San Diego in the final, Mississippi State still holds on to the final spot. So it's it's not even a guarantee with two wins that Utah gets there, but the most likely scenario is two wins for getting to the final could get Utah them that spot of a win for the whole thing. Absolutely does. Stanford does you have Florida State sitting there right now. I just can't find a way to get them there because A, they lost a head-to-head match with Mississippi State. Very damaging to their hopes for trying to overtake them because even if they did overtake them, if they end up back-to-back, Mississippi State's going to go right back in front of them on that NCAA criteria again. So very difficult for them. I just don't see it. It seems to me to be a battle between Mississippi State, Utah, and Stanford for that final spot.
0: Tanner. Do you agree? Is there no path for Arizona? Are they, all, cause they're not in right now. Oh uh, no, no, they are in right they're now. They're 14.
1: It's it's a tough. Yeah. It's a tough path for them to get knocked out. I'm not going to yeah. say it's not possible, but obviously they'd have to lose to Washington and then probably some other things may have to happen to get them out.
2: Mm-hmm. It's tight. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree, I agree. I agree. I think in my years, watching this, this is the spot that gets the most weird uh like it doesn't always make sense i would say even with the head-to-head criteria and even with the points i mean last year's a great example of just seeing the committee do something that it was everyone was a little bit surprised and wowed by the decisions that they made and i think that sometimes they factor in geography you know and if there's a host site that needs to be somewhere because there isn't one close enough within the region because as much as I don't like it, the NCAA, you know, regionally tries to put teams together. And I think that creates an inadequate or unfair draw at times and makes the teams, such certain teams go to the same place every year. So I do agree that that's the way the computer works out and that's how the calculations go. But I think if you're in the range of 15 to 18, you really can't be guaranteed a spot or out of a spot because I've just seen too many things happen where teams just end up leapfrogging each other at this point based off the committee, making a decision.
0: How many times did you guys host Florida state? Seven, nine at, at Florida state. No, Florida. You guys host Florida state in that round of 32. Oh. I feel like Every year they're like, yeah, we're going to Florida. Yeah. We're going to Florida.
2: Yeah. It was more USF. USF. USF, USF, yeah, USF, all, USF always came to us. Uh, no matter the season they had, I remember even when, before I was at Florida, they were like 17 or 18 and they went to Florida who was like a top eight seed or something, you know, they just always got sent there. And I think that's one of the unfortunate parts of, of how the draw is done is it, I understand budgets and things like that, but it's, it creates these unfair, uh, regional hosting situations.
1: Yeah, as we're probably, I will say probably, I would say there's a good likelihood of seeing this year with Texas A&M having two valid drives, those being Texas and TCU. A&M is going to finish as probably one of the top three or four two-seeds. And the only two places they can drive are Texas and TCU, making it a very good chance that they go to one of those two schools. And so, you know, one of your top two-seeds get in one of your top-seeds probably not the way you'd like to draw it up in a perfect world. But again, that's, that's the geography constraint.
0: It also makes, what are they going to do with the West coast teams So fascinating because yeah, USC gets one, Arizona probably gets one, but like, yeah, Stanford, you know, again, or Cal or UCLA, all these teams, where are they going to go? Uh, San Diego, Pepperdine. I mean, yeah. it's,
2: it's a big list out there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, looking further down that list, obviously we had a bunch of conference tournaments, We're going to talk later on the story of the week. SMU playing their way into the NCAA tournament. You know, again, not just fighting for the conference title, fighting the 500 rule as well. I don't know if that's a formal steal, which we talked about last week, a non top by ranking team that would get into the NCAA tournament, winning a conference tournament and getting themselves in because SMU was certainly in the mix, but. Tanner, talk to me about those bubble teams you saw over the past week either play themselves in or, dare I say, we have to look at it, play themselves out of NCAA tournament conversation.
2: Yeah, so I think the hosts there, UCF, played their way out. Obviously, they they didn't do near enough. They needed to win another match to even be 500. Um, seemed like there was some some uh, bad blood down there in that conference tournament with some things that were said and whatnot about SMU. And so they they certainly uh made their opinions known and and uh showed up and showed out cuz even though they won the tournament they're still on the outside looking in in terms of the rankings you know so they still technically have stolen a spot and i think you know all the teams should have been cheering for memphis and tulane and smu making the finals was the worst case scenario for bubble teams um because it stole a spot and tulane solidified their spot so I think that was the one that I had in my mind to keep an eye on, just because. I mean, even the opening match with Temple and Memphis was just an absolute barn burner, and if Temple came into the tournament eighteen and four or something ridiculous, and everybody there was was good and capable. So that was a really fun one to watch. Um, you know, I think in terms of other teams that kind of saw their bubble burst was Miami. You know, Miami needed to. To win and uh, to get in, and and they did not. And they're they're they now sitting Virginia in a position that I really really
0: tough. Sorry to interrupt. That four two match against Virginia was really good.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate you don't get any points for that, Greskin. So yes. um, you know, you, yeah. <laughs> Fell you know, fell just short. And and that's uh, uh, you know, really tough for them because their lowest win was was pretty low in the ninth spot. So really any win could have helped them. And so that just the the way the conference seating and draw worked out there. Um and then, you know, the Ivies, their season ended. And so there were a couple chances there from like Penn, I think, to beat Columbia. If they would have done that, they could have played their way in. They lost that match, so they're um officially out now, unless there's a match that somehow pops up on the schedule that I'm not aware of. Uh, and so, yeah, I think those are the teams that, that kind of saw their bubble burst and then Tulane and SMU played their way in and, and then Washington has now played its way into, uh, the, with the final of the regular season, played their way into having a great shot here, um, at the end to somehow squeak into the tournament.
0: Mm -hmm. I have three more rapid fire teams for you. Uh, Oklahoma state, they got the big win over Texas tech. Where are they now? on the
2: bubble literally uh they're they're the they're the team that has to really cheer uh for what happened today uh with arizona state losing to oregon that's a huge uh result for uh the pokes uh to receive because it puts another team behind them and arizona state can't jump back in front they're still in danger uh just because if washington and nebraska or even oregon now at this point pull an upset, uh, they could potentially be jumped by those teams. And so they have to continue to cheer for those teams to lose. I think if, if Washington was to lose, um, that should pretty much solidify them. And so that'll be one for them to really keep an eye on uh, tomorrow.
0: Mm-hmm. Last two for you. Was a fantastic story earlier this season when they beat Texas A&M. They fall in the Conference USA final to Middle Tennessee. Is UTSA in? They're in. They're locked in. That's a good season. That's well done. And, I mean, it, they were probably rooting for A&M as much as anyone down the season's home stretch. And you know, again, <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's a good team. Uh, no doubt about that. The last one, and this is, again, for us nerds, what about South Alabama who lose to old dominion? That's a little bit of an upset in the sunbelt final is South Alabama on the bubble. Are they good? Or are they firmly out? Cause that's a solid they're team. firmly out.
2: Yeah, they're firmly out. It's very, very solid team. Um, I think they're going to finish in the fifties or sixties, still a good season and came up against a tough ODU team there in the final, but yeah, they're out. So, you know, really the team's left to keep an eye on are Nebraska uh, Washington and now Oregon, if either of those teams pulls an upset, they'll throw themselves right into the front of the bubble. If all three of those teams lose, Arizona State can still make it in. And so does that'll be ne- does uh, Nebraska
0: in- needs semifinal or is quarterfinal enough? One win probably gets them in. All right. That's the man who pioneered the what if calculator. We'll leave it with him. Uh, there's, st- well, there's st- with, it makes it yeah. really
1: close but in most scenarios it's it's enough the win over over Illinois would be enough to get them there but there are so many other matches that could still kind of go and push teams around that you could probably find scenarios that kept them in in with a win and knocked them out with a win but I think more the more likely ones leave them in the field if they beat Illinois
0: mm-hmm All right. No, that's interesting. I forgot that they're the five seed and it's a quarterfinal first round match so that they'll play Illinois right away. So it gets rocking and rolling. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. Again, Nebraska playing for their lives. We saw what that did with a bunch of teams this weekend. Uh, So certainly it'll be a fun weekend of play. Before I let you go, Tanner, any final thoughts, any final things you'd like to share? What's going on at college tennis crash course? Uh,
2: just released a new product today. It's called Recruiting Multiplier. So it's basically a, a list of online tools that coaches can uh, purchase a monthly subscription of and log in online and have access to uh, a lot of things that I think are really helpful when it comes to recruiting and just being organized and having the opportunity to free up some time to do the things that are actually important with the job and not wear that hat. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I think it's really cool. Um, you can go on the website, check it out. Uh, there's some couple of helpful videos on there that show you the back end and allow you to see what awaits uh, behind the paywall. And so, yeah, if anyone has questions, they can always reach out to me and I can explain how all those things work. But just appreciate the opportunity to be on here with you guys again and, and talk college tennis.
0: Always a pleasure, my friend. Appreciate all you do. People should reach a college tennis crash course to just be smarter as a tennis fan, tennis player, tennis coach moving forward. So Tanner, thank you as always for joining us. We appreciate it, my friend. Thank you guys. Of course, Tanner stump joining us. And now Chris, again, that, that's bubble talk. I think that segment's going to stick. Uh, I think we might be bringing that back in uh, seasons moving forward. But with all of that said, we still got some headlines I want to run through here on today's show. So let's do that over the course of the next half hour. Again, some results we haven't talked about yet today. Uh, a lot of them coming via the conference tournaments. We have three power five conference tournaments, ACC, SEC, Big Twelve. All of the results led me to this question, Chris. This is the biggest question I have, I think, as we head towards May, 30,000-foot view. Is there a clear NCAA title favorite? Because I don't think you can answer that question with a definitive yes in the way that we've been able to in years past. And look, I'm not going to do the full history, USC, Virginia. 2009 through 2017, one of those schools was the favorite, minus 2014 when a UCLA team that had Carousel at five somehow managed to lose in the NCAA semifinals. But that's a tangent for another time. You can even look at most more recent history, right? 2018, I think there was a clear-cut favorite in Wake Forest. 2021, Certainly Florida with the SEC season they had, Baylor with the National Indoors they had, those were two clear-cut favorites. You look at last season, we said going into the quarterfinals, Florida, Virginia, those were the two clear-cut favorites. In our history, this feel the season feels a little 2019-ish, where you have just a bunch of teams in the mix. And that year, obviously Texas wins the national title, but you and I were very clear. We thought Florida was the best team going into things. And, you know, certainly you had a UNC team with the best player or an Ohio State team with the best player and Will Blumberg and J.J. Wolf. And boy, was their quarterfinal a thriller. Of course, you also had a Wake Forest team that actually had the best player in Petros Risokos and Borna Gojo at two and a narrow path to four. But God, they got to that path so frequently then. That's the season, like, in most recent memory that comes to mind when I look at this field. Because, you know, again, we'll start with the Big 12. Those are your two top teams in the country. TCU, Texas, they've now played four times. They split the matchups 2-2, head to head. And, again, Texas, uh, TCU, excuse me, ultimately, with the win this past weekend, TCU earning 4-1. Over the Longhorns. Now, again, credit to this TCU team in the two tournament finals. That they've played the Longhorns, National Indoor Finals, Big 12 tournament final. They've managed to walk away with victories. But you know, Texas dropped the doubles point against TCU in Austin and they came back and beat the uh the Horn Frogs. They went to Fort Worth and they beat the Horn Frogs. When I look at this matchup, A, I think it's one TCU. Had to win because you lose three in a row to Texas. Now they kind of have your number, and maybe you do answer this question that yes, Texas having beaten TCU three times consecutively outdoors. I don't know how you could point to anyone but Texas being the clear cut favorites. But now that TCU gets this win. You know, now that they've played around with the doubles lineup a little bit, they've pulled out Captain Jack. They went back to the old reliable duo of Jong and Maxted, which is working just fine because Gorsny and Vives continue to have success. They get a big win over Bailey and Waldeeb at two in the final. You know, again, they continue to play around with their six singles position. This time they go Maxted, who gets a win over Arameli, and then, you know, credit to Gorsny, credit to Fumba, able to work out a couple of three-set victories, but still four three-setters in this match, you know, still a breaker to decide things in the doubles point. I guess let's start with the 30,000-foot view. Is there a clear-cut favorite in your mind? I mean, there can't
1: be, right? I mean... Yeah. Look, these two teams that are your one-two have split the season. So you can't pop, no no matter which one you think is better, you have to say, I that's a 50-50 split there. So neither one of them could be the clear-cut favorite. So I would say, and and trying to make any one of the teams that's not in the top two a clear-cut favorite seems, you know, I don't know, a little oxymoronic maybe, but I I don't know how you would say, oh yeah, the number three team's the clear-cut favorite. I don't know that you could do that, but honestly, outside of those two teams, the only teams that I can really make an argument for right now would be, you know, A, Ohio State, uh, which I still wouldn't say clear-cut over Texas and TCU, but that's a team that, you know, you could latch on to as, hey, that's my favorite, I think they're going to win it, given what they've done with Michigan, one of the other top teams. And then, honestly, the other one, which I just think there's not enough th- there's not enough test behind it to say it's legit, is Virginia. I mean, they've just rolled since okay. indoors. Nobody's beaten them. You could easily look at them and go, "That's my favorite. Nobody can well, beat
0: them. I'm going with them." Hold that thought, because I want to get to those other teams. That's the point of us having this conversation. This is tier one bubble talk. What's tier one? Let's start with TCU. They're an unequivocal. Yes. And they can win all three double slots. You know, again, Fernley Fumba, two in the country. Gorsley and Vivez are like, I'll, I'll look up the record as we're talking here, but it's got to be somewhere around. I don't know. Like if I had to guess, I'd say 17 and three, right? Doesn't that feel about right for those two stats haven't been updated in a little bit, but again, that feels about right uh, for those two. And then again, Jong and Max dead 18 in the country. Uh, they're at six all in this matchup against Huang and McDonald. They can win any of those two of those three on any given day, you know, Fernley can't beat Spaziri, but he can beat anyone else. Um, Fumba gets a huge win over a streaking P.Y. Bailey. That's a really impressive win. One Fumba needed because he's been good, not great. That's been a sneaky underline of this season. You know, again, Captain Jack at three, lol. Jong at four, they calm the landlord. Gorsny at five has lost, what, like once, twice, all season long. And then again, I don't know who their six is, but that guy, you feel like, is at least going three sets in every match that he's going to face. I don't know if this team's a three-point team because I'm not—well, here's what I'm saying. I actually do think this team's a three-point team because they can find three points any possible combination. I can't call them a definitive four-point team because I think Gorsny is usually going to be one of their wins. But And, like, I think they're definitely going to get two more, but I'm not always sure where they're going to come from. And so, like, I think this team is a three-plus points team where it's like, yeah, they can find their way to four, but why they're not the definitive tier one is I'm just never quite sure where it's coming from. Does that make sense? Again, they're awesome, but it's like, what is it? Is It's like they're really good everywhere. I guess it's, you have to put it in the juxtaposition to Texas, right, Chris? And I, I swear I'll shut up and let you talk after this, but like it's the same deal with Texas. Their Gorzeny is Spiz. Spiz is winning at one. And like his one and four over Fernley was so impressive in this match because it's the fourth time they've played. And like the fourth time is not when the beatdown usually comes, but that's Elliot just being like, no, 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 no. I have your number now. Like we're not playing around today. We're not going three sets. I'm getting off the court because we need this point on the board. And again, that's a credit to Elliot, not a dig at Jake. Py's been cruising. Cleve is excellent. Like Aramilli's real. They can win doubles. And I don't mean to slight Braswell or Waldie. Braswell's getting healthier. Waldie has been the real four. We always thought he could be this season. But again, like do I know their exact recipe to four in the way it was like for those Virginia teams, like doubles, Weirsholm, Aragone, whoever of Ty Altamirano and Richard is playing three or whatever that is. Right. Like, it's like that you knew those four point teams or for those, for the wake forest teams, doubles, Chris Mensuri, Botzer. That was their recipe in 2018. I don't think either of these teams have as clear cut recipes, but I both know they can get to four in any ways. Monologue over Chris response on these two Texas squads.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I hate to call them the anything point teams because, sure, they can get there. But look, TCU, the two losses to Texas, they got one point in one and two in the other. They didn't get three. Right. But that's just because they're both both teams are so good across the board. Yes, uh, and i will it, it i'll still reserve a little judgment of i'm not i'm not sold still on 6 at texas but that aside like if you if you look at him and you go sure i'm going to give the advantage to texas at one but after that if we just start going 50-50 right i can go i can take 50-50 and flip a coin three times and one out of eight times you get none Right. You know, so what one out of eight time, one team wins all three and another one out of eight. The other team wins all three. So just because they're all close doesn't mean it's always going to be four, three or that you're going to get three points. But yes, they are both very capable that they have to. I I believe that both teams think in, you know, up and down the lineup in all six spots, they are at least a 50 percent chance to win every single match. And and that just makes it hard to get blown out uh, or not be competitive in every match. But I don't think there really is a clear cut favorite. uh, You know, we've seen it already in that they've played four times depends on the day, the conditions, how the guys are, you know, any number of factors. Uh, And, and yeah, three, I think three of the matches were outdoors, right? Three or two. I'm not
0: sure. No, no, three,
1: three, three, three. uh, But you know, they can, I think it's either way. I think they can both beat each other.
0: No, uh, I agree. I think these teams are unequivocal inner circle tier one teams. We're going to get to Ohio State in a second. Let's talk Virginia first, just because they had their conference tournament. Virginia, 4-1 win over Duke in the tournament final. They also get a really frisky 4-2 win over Miami in the quarters. That Miami team was fighting for its life. You could see it. On the screen, uh, comfortable four-one win over Florida State in the semis. They drop doubles against Miami. Get them the next two days. But look, this Virginia team has been good, not great, in doubles all year long. Forty-five and twenty-one. They win two-thirds again. They're winning a lot of doubles point. They're winning a lot of matches. They've won 16 in a row once again, yeah. undefeated through the ACC regular season, undefeated through the ACC tournament for the third straight season. And we'll have Iñaki Montes on the Cracked Interviews podcast tomorrow to talk about all that success. Chris, here are the big numbers Rodesh is 18 and three. He's won 10 in a row. Vonder Schulenberg's 21 and four. He's won nine of his last 10 and three in a row. Getz is 20 and three. He's one, he's eight and one in his last 10, even in Yaki's 12 and four. But like, again, you're not beating in Yaki. It's just sometimes he's in a third set when the other three guys have finished. I think this is a three point team. I think of gets, you know, of those top five points doubles, Rodesh, Montez, von der Schulenberg, gets. They're getting three of those for the majority of the ACC season. They've gotten stuff from five and six as well. Dahlberg, 12 and five, seven and two in his last 10. And Kiefer, 14 and four overall, five and one in his last 10. He's been grinding down at that five spot and then eight and one at the number six spot. Dahlberg and Kiefer have clearly gotten better watching this team, eye test wise. Do you believe it? Are they good enough, Chris?
1: I don't, that's the problem. I don't know. I I haven't, because you say, they're three of those top five. I don't think doubles is great, like you said. Good, not great. Uh, so let me just pick a team arbitrarily that you're going to go to next. Ohio State. Who do you favor? Ohio, doubles, Ohio State versus Virginia.
0: Ohio you're State. going. We saw you're, it earlier. We saw it twice this year.
1: You're going to say Ohio State, right? Yeah. Okay. At four, gets J.J. Tracy. Tell me you're not taking Tracy.
0: Are we sure it's him and not Trotter?
1: I'm just saying, let's say it is, because that's what they played most recently. You're, t- you're, you're favoring J.J. Yeah. Tracy, are you not? So uh, now you're telling me that if yeah. they're a three-point team, Virginia has to take the top three to get those three points. And they very well may. They're capable. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just not sure that I would say, yep, in those five points, they're getting three against Ohio well, State every time. I don't think so.
0: Here's the thing. Dahlberg 6-3 in the third over. Krug at six. Kiefer's up 5-2 on Dale, which is a really impressive result because Andrew Dale is fucking good. Sorry, Westoff, He's really good uh, at that number five. But the lefty just grinds for Duke. That's a really impressive result for Kiefer. Again, I think they're good at five and six. They're definitely not locks there. And – you know the the elephant in the room was when was Botter going to return? He hasn't played, and the conference tournament is done. So you just assume these are the six they're rolling with. Yeah. You know Rodinus beat Montez, which by the way, again, it's your weekly reminder. Pedro Rodinus is the best thing. If you're not watching, you got to see the lefties' forehand. It's a joke. He is what has made Duke that next level team. It's not just Johns at the top. It's Johns and Rodinus at the top. And look, Johns, they, there were four three-set matches in this match. And, you know, again, Rodinus beats Montez in straight sets. Credit to Virginia. gets beats Conor Krug in three. You know, again, Kiefer's right there. Dahlberg's right there. And then the Doc does his thing against Andrew Zhang. Yeah, it, it comes down to how much you believe in Virginia's five and six. And looking at their five and six, that's the question is, how much faith do you have in Harper and Aramilli? How much faith do you have in Gorsney and whoever? Because all of those top matchups are toss-ups across the board. And you're lucky if you go two and two in the top four against any of these teams. I don't know. I, I Again, I'm going to have to see someone beat Virginia to believe it. I agree. Like, this team is rising, but final word goes to you.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say you're right there. I mean, I started the segment by saying that's the other team that I could make an argument for as being a favorite because they are that good. The problem is we just haven't seen, you know, they just they just ran through the ACC regular season and tournament and didn't
0: didn't play a 4-3
1: match. Yeah, and didn't really get challenged. We know they're freaking good. The question is. How good? Like, OK, you did it with the ACC, but now, you know, uh, and I'll pick out some of those teams like the Ohio States of the world. And you're, and we're going ah, questions at five and six, I don't have too many freaking questions about the Ohio State five and six. I'll take Bernard and Anthrop or whoever the hell you want to throw there. But it's probably those two any day of the week and go, I know what I got. I'm good. Uh, well, and and can can Kiefer and Dahlberg take them? Maybe I just haven't seen them play that level because that level didn't really exist in their schedule up to now.
0: Yeah. Early in the season, again, there were too many struggles at the bottom of the lineup when they were playing the Kentuckys, the Ohio States of the world, and throughout the national indoors. I agree with you. And so, you know, again, four, three set matches, Duke was pushing this Virginia team. They get through. I remember the road trip to Louisville, the Notre Dame, where things got shaky. They get through in those instances, but yeah, again, TCU and Texas are just calloused in a way. Maybe those younger are those five and sixes just aren't for Virginia. It's yeah, it's
1: gonna be another step up for them. And I that's yeah. just the question is and they may come through with flying colors and repeat. Yeah. We just don't yeah. we got we gotta see it,
0: right? Well, I wanna have the Ohio State conversation quickly because we haven't talked about them much because they've just blitzed through the Big Ten. I was having this conversation with a close advisor to our Crack Records podcast. Do you want to guess who it is?
1: Nicholas Gruskin.
0: And uh, happy belated birthday. Nicholas Gruskin turned 21 yesterday. I'll see him in Philly this weekend. Nick's argument is that Ohio State's the most underrated team in the country right now. And that you and I don't spend enough time talking about just how good they've been. And I know what you're gonna say. Gotta see it outdoors. Gotta see it in May. We've been here before. But not to this extent. Like First of all, again, they're 2-0 against Michigan this season. They didn't just beat them at home. They went two in Arbor, beat them outdoors as well. It's a really impressive victory for this group. You watch Anthrop play. I mean, the guy's 13-1 overall. He's won 11 in a row. That forehand at six is a joke. Bernard gets better and better. He's 11-2 overall, of course. You just keep wondering, you know, what, like, what do you do against James Trotter? He's 23-0. This year, Chris, twenty three and zero. Again, can they find him an extra year of eligibility to go for Stevie? Because I bet Ty can find him forty five matches next year. And so, let's go for the record. Why not? Um, like again, Tracy's. We haven't talked about Tracy. He's fifteen and two. You're like, oh, that's cute. Fifteen and two, Tracy. Like a decent year for JJ, who's just quietly won nine in a row. Cannon still cannon. The better the opponent, the better the him. They're forty nine and thirteen in doubles. And again, Luchonic Boulay. Uh, excuse me, Luchonic Trotter, Cash Boulay, Kingsley Tracy. His, I've seen that doubles lineup for two years. I know how good they can be what we've seen all year when they have you down, they do not take their foot off the gas. They beat you. And I understand they played a bad match at South Carolina outdoors early in the outdoor season that has not aged well, but man, like it's just the experience of this team. And we didn't have a show when they made the final. What was it? 09 2010, whatever that team was with Alaire and you know, the young Buchanan, et cetera. We were there for 2018, This, that team had Torp, they had McNally, they had, well, that team was just an interesting blend. This team has experience just like this team's been around the block. This team had the bad early tournament loss at the national indoors and have clearly rallied together and said, we're not doing that shit again. Like, I just like this. I've said it all year long. I like this Ohio state team more than I've liked any of the teams in Buckeyes past. And I've really liked some teams in Buckeyes past, but it's just like the seven options they have in singles are a joke and you can play them in any order. And it's proven all year long. They're still going to find a way to four. Oh
1: man. I have so many responses. First of all, first you mentioned, Torp and McNally, and somehow you managed to skip over the best guy in the entire. No, I said
0: Wolf. I said Torp, McNally, and Wolf.
1: Oh, okay. I was just
0: so excited. You know how when I get too loud, the microphone cuts me off? That was one of those moments. I would never forget. First of all, the best player on that team was Hunter Tubert at six. Shout out Trevor Fauché for the victory. Chris, two, and two. Come the on. gorgeous Torpegaard match, three sets to decide that quarterfinal is still the best match I've, like, is the most excited I've ever been for a set of tennis in my life. So <laughs> you don't need to tell me about that team. Carry but,
1: on. But no, yeah, then I'm then I'm just smiling at the fact that you've been talking about them all year because you... And the rest of our crew ridiculed me for ranking them so high in the preseason because I was the highest on this team. And I still am. And I picked them to be in the final and I'm not backing off of it. But yes, I mean, it is somewhat, I'll say, under the radar only because once we've finally gotten into the Big Ten season, that's all they play. And look, let's be honest, there's Michigan and that's it. Uh, well, I mean, Illinois for,
0: Northwestern are top thirty, but they let's, blitz.
1: Yeah, agreed. But if you're, you know, if you're a top five team, yes, you expect to get a challenge or a test, if you will. But I certainly don't expect you to lose, and they haven't. Um, but but the, the real tests come when you're playing a top ten, top fifteen, and but that's the only that that's all they've got, right? They don't. They didn't get what you would get in the SEC or even to some extent, and that's a little questionable in the ACC once you got past Virginia, but uh, but yeah, it's just we. that's the reason I think they're under the radar just because they haven't played, you know, if they were in Georgia's mm-hmm. shoes and they were playing Kentucky and Tennessee and South Carolina and beating them all, hell yeah, we'd be talking about them. The only reason we're not is because they played Michigan twice and that's all we really got to talk about.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Here's the difference. I've now seen Anthrop. I've seen Bernard. I've seen the sustained excellence of Trotter. You've even seen the weapons of Boulet, who's had a really solid season, 11-5 overall in those top two spots. I've just seen it now. And, you know, again, I I think they have to be in the tier one conversation because I think Anthrop is... Vivez or Max Stedder or, or Aura good. Like if it's Anthrop versus Dahlberg, all due respect to Mons Dahlberg, who I have had the chance to watch. I think he's really good. I'm still picking Anthrop in that match.
1: Yeah. I mean, look <laughs> that and we could go back and replay some of our early pods. That was part of my talk is hey, I think this is for a big picture long term for Ohio State. It's better this year. Because you've got a guy like Anthrop who has played so much outdoor tennis growing up in Florida and and Bernard, that they're going to be, I think, better suited than some of the teams we've talked about in the past that have run the gamut. You know, they've just run everybody off the table in the indoor season. And then we get to outdoors and unfortunately end up going, well, yep, it was outdoors I'm not saying that's not going to happen again this year. They could get, you know, what up, say they get to to Orlando and they lose the first match in Orlando in the, you know, call it the 3-6 match or something. Could happen. But if they go and win it all, am I going to be shocked? Not in the least. I think this is the best equipped they've been in a long time to make an outdoor run at a national championship.
0: So those are the four unequivocal teams. I agree with you. I think TCU, Texas, Virginia, Ohio State have to be on the list. Let's talk about some other teams that are on the fringes or firmly in your tier one conversation, depending on who you are. Let's start with Kentucky, four three over Tennessee, four three over Georgia. Of course, in that Tennessee match, they win the doubles point; it's clinched it in a third set by Lafayette, any six four in the third over Emil Hud. We had a Lafayette on the cracked interviews podcast to discuss that match as well. It's just the the barn burner, the thriller. That was the final Georgia takes the doubles point. They're up five, four and third sets on courts, four and five serving for the match. They have multiple match points. And yet in the end, Kentucky wins at two, three, four, and five, three of those three set victories four three over Georgia first conference title, uh, conference tournament title since 1992. Is this Kentucky team tier one in your mind after this weekend, Chris? I don't know how you say they're not. I mean, they just, I mean, I think it's going to be
1: really tough for them to get three wins in Orlando, but look, they just, it's going to have to be over teams, the quality of Tennessee and Georgia, and they just did it in those two. So I'm not sure how they're not, but I would say, you know, yes, they're tier one, but if I was making like a 1A, 1B, I might take those first four you mentioned and say they're 1A and then make another group of 1B, But they're definitely above, you know, the tier two teams. Absolutely. And they could very easily win a national championship.
0: This team is so streaky. And... I think the best thing that comes out of this weekend is a Lafayette gets too much needed three set victories. He'd been on the wrong end of a lot of them. And I know he's 16 and eight overall on the year, and that's a big number, but this is a really good team. They're going to get a lot of wins. He gets two big ones in three sets over HUD, over Henning two experienced guys like himself. It's huge for the confidence boost. You know, again, I don't team, think that's
1: the biggest thing for them, well, though.
0: Well, it's two things. I think this team is so streaky in doubles as well. Like, you just you never know what you're going to get from Body and Aliani, who are number 30 in the country, but under 500 on the year. We know how good Mercer and Lapidot can be, but like 14 and 6 isn't anything to write home about. You know, Draxel and Weeks have turned into their most consistent team, 12 and 4 overall at the number 3 spot. And that's a lot of firepower and energy at that spot. And that gets me to the final point. Weeks is clicking on all cylinder and why Cosne has struggled a little bit down the season's home stretch. God, stop me if you've heard this Kentucky conversation before. Chris feels like they have five for really good guys.
1: I would. Yeah, I, I I have no I have no issues with with Kuznay at six, which is why no, I me think neither.
0: That, but he's just been streaky again. Yeah, he's
1: well, and so is Weeks. But that gets yeah. me back to what I think the biggest thing for them this weekend was. Weeks being able to fight two match points in that tiebreaker off and then coming back and winning the match, you can't buy confidence or what that is going to bring to him. right? You can tell him all you want. Hey, you're the man, you're the best freshman in the country, whatever you want to tell him. right? Nothing will sink in and nothing will have an effect like coming from two match points down in a tiebreaker in the SEC final to win it and clinch for your team like actually doing that. And that is going to pay huge dividends for them. I don't, you know, I no guarantee that it's this year, somewhere down the road, but I can guarantee you that going in now to the NCAA tournament, there's a new level of confidence and belief that he's going to have in himself that they need. Because look, we we all know those top four are dead. You know, we know what those are. And it's the two freshmen at five and six that you go, We can't go into the NCAA tournament and get freshman performances out of our five and six. I think that that result from weeks this weekend is going to pay huge dividends for them in the tournament.
0: Don't think too hard about this. Josh Lopidot versus Jack Pennington-Jones. Who are you taking?
1: Pennington-Jones.
0: Josh Lopidot versus Braswell. Lopidot. Lopidot versus Von der Schulenberg
1: der schulenberg
0: trotter versus Lapadot.
1: I'm, I'm taking trotter versus anybody at this point this year
0: that to me is why you can't have kentucky unequivocally in tier one because they need Lapadot to win he's done it all season long and against those best teams i don't know if he's a favorite in those matches and like that's my central concern for kentucky is and that's fair yeah But I think they're very good. And again, now they're rolling on all cylinders. Congratulations to Coach Kaufman, Coach Gordon. They've been working. Again, this Kentucky team is the defending NCAA finalist. They're not getting rolled over by anyone. This team is getting better.
1: Don't leave Coach Draxel out of there.
0: Yeah, Coach Draxel as well. Uh, Tier 1B, in my opinion. And again, I think as we round out this conversation, those are your conference champions. Just some other teams let's roll through quickly. Michigan. 4-1 over Northwestern, 4-1 over Illinois. I was in person for the Illinois match. That's the best weekend of tennis Michigan's played since February, unequivocally. They win two doubles points. They win them both without wins at the number one double spot. Maloney, Nino, healthy. They get wins at two. They go unbroken. Styler, Bickersteth playing better at three. You know, they were indoors, where I will continue to say, I think Styler's the best indoor player in the country. Maloney gets two straight-set victories. Bickerstaff at six makes a ton of sense. They flip Nino and Gavin. Nino up to four. Gavin now at five. Gavin gets two wins at that five spot. Nino gets two wins at four. They need to beat Ohio State, in my opinion, this weekend to be a Tier 1 team entering the NCAA tournament. I know they're going to be top eight, but I think – Yes, they beat USC without TN early in the season. Yes, they smacked Virginia at the national indoors 4-0, a match that I will forever remember. Um, but I just need to, like, as good as they were this weekend, you beat Ohio State at this Big Ten tournament. Now you're Tier 1. I think it's that simple. Well, yeah,
1: And on the flip side, you can't go 0-3 to them and then think yeah, you're Tier ex- 1.
0: exactly. Exactly. That's perfectly put. I think we can leave that there. Tennessee. Where are you at with Tennessee? Like, are they, I think they're on the fringes of this conversation as well. A four, three loss. Like I know HUD's on the tough end of it again, but I'm telling you, Tennessee is like, if you're going to beat them, it's going to be four, three. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm just not sure they can get three. I mean, they can, I don't know how likely it is that they can they can get to, say, Orlando and win three matches against those teams with just all kinds of combinations of concern for me. I, I'm not sure against the elites that HUD's going to be the guy at two to get you the point. I definitely think they have issues at f- at five and six trying to match up with some of those teams.
0: I don't know, man. Diaz at five's the real deal. And I know Rodriguez had a huge week at six. He might finally be the answer to that question. I agree with you. Again, I'm not picking them definitively, but I know those guys are now in the mix. And like, I know Hud's in the mix. I know Bicknell Outdoors is in the mix. Mitsui's not losing again. Like, I agree. There are question marks around this team, but I think they've elevated to 1B.
1: Yeah, I I mean I, I and I think that's fair. I think it's just tough because I, they can do it. I think trying to get 3 in a row from those guys is it, it's going to be tough. So, but they're definitely they are capable, but they are definitely just a slight notch below those other top 4 teams. I'll put them gladly in that same group with, you know, Kentucky in the 1B discussion.
0: Last one, USC with TN. They cruise this weekend. 4-1 victory uh, over Utah, 4-0 over UCLA. Again, they now play TN and uh, and Fry at one, moving Destonish down to two. Mock now gets to play three, which one coach told me. You just can't understate the value of having Peter Mock now at that three position, like how good Peter Mock is. He accused us of underrating him. Um, I Like, again... And Dostanich, I know he loses to Utah, but he feels rejuvenated. I mean, Tiana, too. Has he dropped the set yet? I don't think so. Uh, If they roll through the Pac-12s, like, no match closer than 4-2, where are you with them? Are they 1A or is the highest they can be 1B because you have to see it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say 1A without seeing it, but – the and again i'll i'll go back to what i said before the i think they're they're absolutely in my mind already in the 1b group they're not tier 2 anymore they're in that they're they're with that 1b group the big question for me isn't so much singles it's how can they compete in doubles with this with the new mix of doubles teams because if if they are a 50-50 or better against the other top 10 teams in doubles then I I think it's I'm still going to I can't go there until I've seen it. I don't want to get too hyped up on something that we haven't really seen, but it's not going to shock me at all. If they're right in the midst of 1A and and we and we're watching them in the semifinals and or finals.
0: Mm-hmm. And the other one, I I can't believe I forgot to say them. I know we talked about them a couple of weeks ago, elevating themselves. We did a full segment on it so we can do it briefly. Georgia served for the matchup 5-4 in the thirds on 4-5. and five. They go undefeated in the SEC season. Again, I don't know if I can put them 1A, but definitely 1B. And let's just look, all these teams, 1A, 1B, where it is different than like, I, I guess you could call 1B Tier 2, and we're just being soft and doing so, but I don't think you can because typically that would imply that there's a gap between Tiers 1 and 2, and it's not. It's just like you feel slightly more confident in this team getting to 4 than the other one, but both, all these teams have clear pathways to 4 in every match that they play. This is our Tier 1 then, right now, Chris, between A and B. TCU, Texas, Virginia, Ohio State, Kentucky, Tennessee, Michigan, USC, Georgia. Nine teams at the end of April that I think if they raise the trophy come the end of the NCAA tournament. Again, Michigan is the one most on the brink of being eliminated, in my opinion, from this discussion, just because, to your point, you can't lose to Ohio State three times. But, again, it's the best tennis I've seen from the Wolverines since February this past weekend. That's why this weekend's Big Ten tournament is going to be a barn burner. That's a really healthy place to be going into May, Chris. I think we might have an exciting result or two down the season's home stretch. And, you know, again, with that in mind, let's talk about some of the rest of the power five tournament results. I want to rapid fire through these and rapid fire through the rest of our topics here, Chris. SEC results. Georgia 4-0 over AM and Florida. AM 4-3 over Vanderbilt, 4-2 over South Carolina. Alabama four three over Mississippi State, Florida four one over Auburn. Those were my most relevant other results of that group. Anything stand out to you? You want to discuss? I'll
1: say a continued disappointment for Auburn. Uh, I mean, and at home in, for the SEC tournament. That that was a rough one, tough pill for those guys to swallow. A and M for the moment with that win over South Carolina looked like they were in good contention for the final hosting spot. In the end, it doesn't look like it. Horrible, horrible loss for Mississippi State uh, against Alabama. Lost their number one player to an injury the day before. Still no excuse. You can't, you know, you got to beat that team. And got the help of all help. And there was like a 10-match streak of matches they needed to go their way, including the aforementioned at the beginning of the show that you talked about, AAC run to make the final Tulane versus SMU. Mississippi State held wins over both of those teams, and that huge run helped them, even with the loss, to temporarily at least hold on to that final hosting spot. They just got all kinds of good things going their way after the loss and have a chance, but that's kind of the things I took out of that tournament.
0: Yeah. Uh, look, uh, the other thing I would add, and, you know, this job has become more difficult because we start to know people extraordinarily well. And I am very fond of George Husack as a human being. I think he's an extraordinary coach. Alabama would be in the NCAA tournament by ranking. They're going to miss it because they're under 500. That's unacceptable. Like, you just you can't have that happen. You just can't. And. I'm sure there are things I don't know about why they weren't put on the calendar and about funding things I'm not aware of. I get that. You can't have that happen. You just can't, Chris. And, you know, again, it's a really, it's disappointing for this Alabama team because they're NCAA tournament good. You know, they beat Florida early in the season. Yes, Mississippi State's down there one, but that's still a really impressive win with your NCAA tournament lives on the line. And they're under 500 and they're not going to get in. And that's a real shame. And so I think that's where I would end my SEC thoughts. ACC, Virginia over Florida State, 4-1 over Miami, 4-2. Duke, a really fun 4-3 win over Wake. Florida State, a really fun 4-2 win over UNC. Wake, 4-2 over NC State. Again, disappointing if you're Kyle Spencer with the group they have that they're not top 16. But God, do you not want that team coming to you the first week of the NTAA tournament? Louisville kind of end Notre Dame, a uh, frisky Notre Dame team's run 4-3. Again, Miami was fun 4-2 over Georgia Tech before getting eliminated, as Tanner alluded to earlier. Anything from the ACC you'd want to touch on?
1: Yeah, I mean, a couple Who's of things. Who's more
0: dangerous, and- Waker NC State? Come into your region.
1: I mean, it, well, I, that's the first team I was going to touch on. And, and and it's the the answer is sort of a, it depends. And it really and the, the depends is <clears throat> depends on who's playing for NC State. The problem they've had this year is just injury. They haven't been able to have all their guys. I don't know when the last time we saw Rosens was, uh, but that's just it, it, a full NC State lineup. I'm super scared. They've been doing, you know pretty well managing in a lot of cases, two guys down. And so that's the tough part. If we see the kind of rosters we saw, I'm actually probably a little more scared of wake right now. I really wish I could have a full NC state roster. I'd be scared. My other takeaway here was really anticlimactic Saturday for me in that tournament. I wanted to see a really good Florida state, Virginia matchup. And the night before They already announced that due to the rain the next day they were going indoors. And I'll tell you, as soon as they said that, I already signed. I already put the coffins in Florida State. I mean, forget it. They're done. Uh, And, you know, Virginia hasn't they haven't been like, you know, great, impressive, like, oh, my God, Virginia indoors. It's just that Florida State has not done anything indoors. And to see that that was going to be the case, you know. It is what it is. You got to be able to play on the indoors if it, if it comes to that and hopefully it doesn't in in NCAAs, but it's always a chance and that's just not their surface. Uh, That was, that was my other takeaway. It was fun to watch that, that match against North Carolina. And then that, and then that, you know, the wake match at at four, three, I though I did find those fun matches, but Virginia just, I mean, obviously the big takeaway, Virginia is just better than everybody else in the ACC.
0: Yeah. Big 12, Texas 4-2 over Oklahoma, TCU 4-0 over Oklahoma State. We talked about Oklahoma State over Texas Tech 4-3 earlier. Keeps their season alive. Oklahoma dropped doubles, five first sets against Baylor. They earn a 4-3 win over the Bears. Bears going to get into the tournament. Um, That's a tough loss, obviously, for that group. But, again, we know how good the Sooners team can be. They pushed Texas in that semifinal. Any thoughts there? Are you ready to move on?
1: yeah I think I mean, like you said, I think everything's good for Baylor. There's a crazy set of scenarios I think that could knock them out, but it would it's involves so many of the lower ranked teams like Washington beating Arizona, et cetera, et cetera that it's just not going to happen. but my big takeaway there was the fir- the very first one that you you uh, you saw and that was Oklahoma State beating Texas Tech the the match that I said there was no way I saw that happening. no way. I see that happening. Of course, they turn around and do it. And yeah, that's basically going to put, you know, in all likelihood, putting them in the tournament.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, then down the home stretch here, let's focus in on a couple of things. Disaster for Stanford. Disaster. 4 1 loss to Oregon, 4 1 loss to Washington. Now, look, I understand this team hasn't been healthy all season long. They didn't have Ferry. They didn't have Banerjee against Washington, against Oregon, you know, same deal, but like, uh, I just like, I can't believe this is where we're at with this Stanford team. Quick thoughts on them. I
1: I don't even know what to say here. Look, it's disaster for us when we see that that's the case. They obviously knew going in, they weren't going to have them. My guess is the disaster occurred long before the match was ever played. And they knew that they were going in without Ferry and without Banerjee. And, and it's been that way. And it's not been Ferry and Banerjee, but you know, basings missed time with energy. Boss have already missed a whole bunch of time with injury. They can't get, and I, Jay posted, I don't remember what the exact stat he did post was, but you know, how, the, how many times and since when they had those core four, I'll call that. I mean, that is the heart of the team, right? you got Ferry, basing, Banerjee, Boss have already, That's the core four of that team. If you don't have those four guys in the lineup, you're not contending with the top 10 teams in the country. If you have those four guys in the lineup, you can contend with those top 10 teams. They just haven't done it. And that's that's the disaster. The disaster is made when the lineup isn't even full.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Non-Power 5 result. SMU threads the needle from under 500 to into the NCAA tournament. American title uh, American tournament champions 4-3 wins over Tulane in the final, Memphis in the semis 4-2 over Tulsa to get things rolling as we talked about earlier with uh Tanner Stump, Tulane 4-3 win over UCF, 4-3 win over Wichita State to stay alive. I mean, what a fun American tournament it was, Chris. Your thoughts on all of it?
1: Yeah, probably the, you know, in reality, outside of, I think there was a lot of good stuff in in the SEC, just the way it played out. But, uh, you know, f- this was probably the most fun, especially impactful on the NCAA tournament uh, conference to watch go down because we had all kinds of bubble implications. A team stealing a bid in the end, to, to win it. Tulane playing their way in. Memphis was already in regardless. I, it was just a load of fun. And other teams that had their opportunities. Tulsa, with a good run, they might have had to win it all, but with a good run, could have played their way in. I mean, USF could have done this. It was, yeah, that was a really, really fun tournament to watch. And yeah, back-to-back for SMU, and, and they deserved it.
0: And just about everyone for Tulane's coming back next season. A lot of those pieces for SMU coming back as well, again. It was such a fun event uh, to follow so many 4-3 results, so many tournament implications. Of course, there were other non-Power 5 conference champions crowned. Harvard winning the Ivy League, clinching it a fun 4-2 win over Penn on the road. They also beat Princeton 6-1. You had Middle Tennessee 4 over UTSA. Again, UTSA getting a 4-3 win over FAU in the semis to really clinch their tournament spot. Drake beats Denver 4-1 ODU upsetting South Alabama 4-2 for the Sun Belt. Am I missing anything else, Chris? Any other non uh, non-Power 5 conference results you'd point to?
1: Ah, I mean I just shout out to all of the ones that won their conference tournament to get in, so the ones you that you didn't mention, Alabama State, Texas A&M Corpus Christi, ETSU, Navy, Last week, we mentioned St. Francis, Brooklyn, who had already gotten in. They were a week earlier in the conference tournament. Toledo, Siena, Presbyterian, St. John's, Florida Gulf Coast. That's it.
0: Yeah. All right. There you go. Well, then with that in mind, let's get to the other results. We saw, and we talked about a lot of these earlier. So, you know, again, quickly, Michigan sweeping Northwestern and Illinois. Northwestern, Illinois sweeping Michigan State. You had Nebraska, the massive win. It wasn't 4-3 at the clinch. I think it was 4-1 at clinch to keep their bubble hopes alive. We mentioned USC, Utah earning a share of the Pac-12 title, 4-3 over UCLA. Arizona knocks off Arizona State. Washington, Cal. uh, Washington 4-3 over Cal to really make their weekend that much more enjoyable cal for three over oregon any final thoughts on anything from last week
1: i mean there's one that stands out in there and i'm not going to call them out by name just because it's probably still painful the utah ucla match five four 40 love for you for ucla doesn't win another point the rest of the match that's a match. That's one that's going to stick with you. And we're going to, you know, either it's going to sting and you're not going to recover or you're really going to use that as that is never happening again motivation uh, to make sure that it doesn't. But wow, I mean, what a comeback from Utah to come from, you know, three all five, down 5-4-40 five, love and they get back and win the match.
0: Yeah. And now, again, it's been a special season for the Utes. And, you know, again, with all that said, where things stand on that NCAA tournament bubble. Chris says all eight top seeds locks. I trust him with the math better than everyone. Those teams, Texas, TCU, Ohio State, Kentucky, UVA, Georgia, Michigan, and Tennessee. Stanford. Cal, Utah, really just Utah and Stanford, still a shot at, uh, at knocking off a Mississippi State, a UNC. Maybe there's a world for Florida State to work their way into the top 16. And then again, Oklahoma State right now, your last team on the bubble, monitoring all the madness happening out west. That's where things stand. We'll do this quickly. Where are our Cracked Rackets rankings looking like right now? Again, pretty similar to what you'd expect. Again, movement, TCU with their win, they jump Texas. They're back up to number one. Texas two, Ohio State three, SEC champs Kentucky four, ACC champs Virginia five. Of course, Kentucky beat UVA earlier this season. So I guess we follow ITA rules two, Georgia six, Michigan seven, Tennessee eight, Duke 9, USC 10. I think I went USC 9 on vibes, but I get why you'd put Duke 9 by accomplishments. Harvard 11, Florida State 12, Columbia 13, South Carolina down to 14. Honestly, that feels about right. I had them at 13, a spot above Columbia, but not by much. Mississippi State 15, UNC 16. I had Florida State 15, Utah 16. But, you know, again... This feels about right Chris that's certainly what the rankings look like.
1: Yeah, I mean they're they're in the vicinity. I think that's uh you know uh, I'll say it's a tad high for Florida State. Um sure. that's probably the one that that jumps out at me. Uh That screams Parsa. Let's just it, say it. In there. Uh yeah, I yeah, I'm not sure how that happened, but uh but yeah, that 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 one jumps out. Everything else I think uh is, you know, pretty much you know you're like a spot or two we're all in the same ballpark
0: All right. well then with that in mind let's take a look at the week ahead two predictions I need from you Chris Big Ten tournament who you got
1: I mean I'm at some point I got to get redemption out of the Michigan so I'm gonna I'm even though Ohio State has to be the clear favorite, well, right? You now. just
0: stop. Here's the thing. Math would suggest you keep picking Michigan. Eventually it tilts your way if these teams are as even as we think. At the right. same time, Michigan fans ever are saying if he picks him one more time, I'm um, sending fecal matter to his house. Um, so it's your choice, my friend.
1: Well, okay. Then uh the joke's on you. I love it. So um Pick Michigan. Come I, on. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, light it on fire while you're at it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, but I'm there. I'm gonna take Michigan. I do think they are very close, and you play enough times, and they're gonna get one. So uh, that, and the fact that I picked them to win everything, and hopefully now I'm relying on my inside guy, who was eyes on the ground watching Maloney serve watching Nino to see how he was coming back from injury and I hear I hear things were looking good this weekend so I'm going to ride him and take him in the tournament
0: weird that you talked to my cousin Brad Silverman as well you figure you get enough from me but yeah I mean again talk who you got to talk to yeah it's a, it's a fair pick I'm I'm headed there I think tomorrow and Friday I'm going to try and hit both on Friday watch the Michigan women in the morning cuz they play at 9 watch the, I, was, I told Ronnie I was like Ronnie I want you to know this is how you know I love you is I'm getting up before 9 a.m. for you. I don't do that for anyone anymore. Um, And then I'll go watch, you know, again, the men's side in the afternoon. That's going to be fun. Pack 12 who you got?
1: Ah, USC, hands down.
0: All right. Well, there are your picks, folks. And that's your look at the week ahead. And only one week remaining before we know what the field looks like at this 2023 NCAA tournament. Of course, we will be back next week. To recap all the final regular season conference tournament action, we'll be back next week for a selection show as well. We're excited for the home stretch of this 2023 college tennis season to begin. We hope all of you will stick with us as we cover it all as well. Of course, as we wrap today's show, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the job he does making everything possible. A shout out as well to the support we get. From our friends at Turna LS, these shows wouldn't be possible without them. So a thank you to them. A thank you to Tanner Stump for joining us earlier in the show. And a thank you to you, Chris Hallioris, as always, for taking the time day in, day out to tolerate my nonsense. As such, final words go to you. Any final thoughts?
1: No, uh, I just can't wait for the final weekend of conference tournaments. And of course, just to see how close the calculator is to the, cu- to the field that comes out. And yeah, let's, let's see that NCAA field.
0: Well, that's the right sentiment. It's as always all about Chris Hallioris. With that said, for the fantastic professor, Chris Hallioris, for the fantastic Tanner Stump, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turn and LS, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners?
1: Hey, Great shot.
0: We will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.